Hi, welcome back. Um, it's Film Suck, and it's our long-awaited uh, episode dealing with Quentin Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is um, getting a lot of attention, a lot of press, um, a lot of controversial opinions. It's a divisive film. People have very extreme takes, which makes it exciting you know, to talk about. Um I wrote a review of it. <laughs> it. Actually, I was trying in my review for Jacobin Magazine to try. I was trying by that point to to um, to to grapple with the extraordinary range of opinion of people. There are people who just hate this film. <laughs> and since I, I quite liked it and I, I feel like I've, I've run the gamut of my Quentin Tarantino responses, I, I too went through a period of, of barely being able to stay on Quentin Tarantino. Um, and now I've come around to the point of I've made my peace with the parts of his uh, filmmaking that I'm not crazy about and I'm, I'm <laughs> I like his films now you've got people coming out of the woodwork saying how they always hated him uh, <laughs> and they just cannot stand him at any price so it's like shocking to me anyway I do have to say that people seem to like be obsessed with Tarantino yeah. in Russia he never oh, really? gets old here yeah it's not it since it's also never experienced really the the so-called I think wokeness right right <laughs> so it's nothing nothing changed and and the surprising thing, Tarantino came to um, Moscow premiere of the mm-hmm. film, which happened on August 7. I couldn't, I actually couldn't score, I couldn't get the tickets there, even though I tried to flaunt our podcast credentials. Oh, no, too bad. <laughs> but but Astani, uh, like who, yeah, who was, who was, uh, who invited him there. But yeah, it, it didn't work. So I guess we're not, we're not big enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gotta yeah. work harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I, yeah, I, I find it, interesting so we clearly had like the different experience of watching it i watched it the uh, day of official premiere mm-hmm. which is august 8 the, almost the day like what is it oh uh, yeah the day of, oh, literally murders. the murder <laughs> the day of the murders <laughs> how ironic huh that, that was the, the official big premiere uh, uh-huh. for, for moscow at least and um I do have to say, it's like all the tickets sold out. I had to go there at 4 p.m. because like 7 or 8 or 9, it's like all sold out, at least in the central movie theaters. Wow. And as always, the, the you know, the audience there was, I would say pretty actually young, but I'm, it might be also the movie theater I went to, which is kind of a, a pretty hip one. Mm-hmm. And it was subtitled because um, a lot of films usually get dubbed here. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so that might be why the audience was young, but the boys were sitting next to me, and clearly, I think a lot of Tarantino fans are like young men, yeah, <laughs> teenager boys. They were, yeah. One was sitting uh, to the right from me, and he was just, I mean, ex- I don't know, ecstatic mm-hmm. <laughs> over yeah. three hours. Wow, and all I, three I think hours, this is. Huh? A re- I mean, okay, <laughs> he, he clearly loved it all, but uh-huh. some of the moments were really. Yeah, just really happy for him, and I don't think I, uh, I could like exactly relate to that because I think yeah, there's something I, I made me think again about the Tarantino like major main audience. Obviously, yeah. all kind of people like him, but I think this is like the young man. <laughs> and I think <laughs> you do get yeah. Privilege. I just remember from mm-hmm. my students that that uh, it was generally at least among the young men that you mm-hmm. that this ecstatic thing you talk about, you yeah. get these faces just, just like. <laughs> Of, of like joy and bliss and excitement from a yeah, I would majority look, young look, men, I would say. I would look to the right. It's it's just Andy's face. He might have been like twenty. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like not older, probably than twenty. And he, it, yeah, like such a blissful smile. I mean, just yeah. <laughs> if if only I could. Experience.
experienced that honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen for me, even though I mean I enjoyed parts of it. But anyway, that, that, what, that was what my. What parts were they mm-hmm. most ecstatic about? Could you tell? Was it just fight uh, scenes well, or? Uh, the, yeah, all the fights, all the fight scenes, like mm. the, the girls. Like the kind of sexy scenes, even though there was no radar or anything, right? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the uh, usual kit- kitschy kind of cartoonish killings. Yeah, yeah. That was that was, I think, the time, the kind of the climax right. of it all. Yeah. For him, I don't know a lot of things, and people it, it, again, the audience was young, people laughing a lot. Mm-hmm. So I guess all the. At least the accessible usual jokes for for those who yeah, John and you even referenced reference for mm-hmm. yeah they definitely was like worked for the for the audience yeah I saw some references um, to people mm-hmm. just loving the Brad Pitt with his dog Brandy scenes where he feeds mm-hmm. him. What is it? Rat oh, flavored yeah. dog food that's advertised <laughs> on the side of the can. And apparently people just lo- love this. And I was like, I barely remembered that. But, you know, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I did remember that. Yeah. <gasps> I guess people love that, too. Well, I mean, Brandy's I a great it, dog and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, <sighs> it's a great character, as you wrote in the review, too. I don't know if we're going to go like Im- immediately into the film but I do have to say it's like the strongest part of the film for me the one that actually did work consistently mm-hmm. is just the story of Rick Dalton and his stuntman it's almost like if it was just um, if they were truly the major the main characters mm-hmm. Aren't and they, uh, it was not much I think they are they most, are but yeah. If, no they, yeah they are but I mean it's almost like I don't need much Oh, I <laughs> much see. Yeah, <laughs> much else than of, them. Yeah, much else than that because that worked really well. I think it's just because Tarantino really knows that type of bro dynamic and just being a somewhat washed out Hollywood straight kind of cowboy guy. Not well, yeah, ex- and I, what I liked about bright. it was mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's being presented in such in such like. He's the butt of the joke always. I mean, mm-hmm, he's he's mm-hmm. the one who's who's got all these huge emotional, overly emotional reactions to everything. He's always, you know, crying or 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 whining horribly about how things aren't going his way, and you know, I know. And so, and but then, other and pe- then someone but, like Brody writes that yes. uh, hates hippies, and it's like loves, MAGA film. And what? he's not the only one who like suggested that. Tarantino's attitude is a complete mesh with Rick Dalton's. That Rick Dalton is practically <laughs> Tarantino's alter ego. And you're just like, what? I was just baffled by that. I mean, I loved it. Usually I have a problem with Leonardo DiCaprio because he, you know, in recent years, he's always being he's always being cast in these tough guy roles, which I just find him impossible to believe. Um, you know, he's just such a soft Hollywood product. He looks like that's what he looks like. So it, for once, it seemed like he had the perfect perfect role for him he's essentially this soft actory egotist um you know completely out of control as far as emotionally and everything else and that's very funny because he's supposed to be playing this stoic you know western hero or you know war hero kind of figure and instead uh-huh. they, you know they, it's just a pretty obvious um part Wait, of the thing but- Mm-hmm. But even though I'm completely in disagreement of of this like idiotic reading of Richard mm-hmm. Brody of some, but but completely not separating like a character and and Tarantino and whatever and ideology of it all, but I do have to say did very much seem like Rick Dalton is some sort of obviously a, <laughs> a printed up uh, kind of fairy tale version of Tarantino himself. Sort of fulfills probably some 
aging and washed out and he has this foreign young young wife <laughs> exactly like Tarantino I mean they're like a I lot mean, maybe of he's being I'm kind of reading into. do you think Tarantino was that humorous about himself I don't know I think so maybe. I kind of <laughs> almost gotta respect him a lot for it because I that's how I read it I oh, think it's wow. I think it's yeah. God not, I, not I in a, again not in a hateful way but yeah I think he actually almost <laughs> He's doing yeah, a self mockery, kind of self self mockery, but also it's like almost a God. It's my usual take, like a retirement film. Yeah. It's almost like oh yeah, and he's talked about sure. that. He might even end yeah. here on his ninth film, but he's always said he was going to like do ten and blah blah blah. Yeah, he he's done yeah, a lot but of that. It's not even film. The, the film count that I care about, just the way he portrayed himself in the in the culture and how he relates to it and how God, I would he never have thought does that not was... relate to it at all. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe, I think it, yeah. it could be very, very much like parts of parts of him, sure. But you know, it's it. It seems like Cliff Booth is the hero. If anyone is the hero, he is a mm-hmm. classic hero. So it was, it was yeah, just yeah. Odd. But this is not Tarantino, so it's Cliff Booth fine as a character. But then it just if if speaking purely in some kind of tour alter ego terms, okay. <laughs> wow, not, he is Rick Dalton, okay. but not in a flattering way. Again, not in a oh, this is a Trumpist film. Not not like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually respect him for wow <laughs> for doing that, but but uh, I think there are a lot of <laughs> I think there are a lot of clues that it's kind of him. Oh wow! I gotta rethink and this now. Also, hmm. if you think about it, I, I, again, you're much like, bigger connoisseur of, of, of his <laughs> of his films, and uh, he's also a big genre guy uh, and a huge movie fan. But also, back in the day, what it's been like his careers span like 25 years mm-hmm. and he definitely was at some point considered extremely relevant um throughout different groups not not just like teenage boys mm-hmm. he, he he was somewhat i guess the side at some point it was like the zeitgeist <laughs> of the movie of the cinema and oh God, now yeah. i don't think it's that anymore i think he kind of knows that obviously sure his films get a get a look like big audience and they do make money back but it's not he's not necessarily very relevant with his teenage boy kind of take on the world mm-hmm. it, which is fine to have it's fun and he's entertaining and all that but if purely looking at the cultural moment i think he's very much a rick dalton type of character which is a great character Kind of like an aging dude who's <laughs> who's well, um, though he gets at, if yeah. it is if it is for a self portrayal in that way he gets to do it from on high because you're right even though his his main the moment when he truly was like when relevant Tarantino <laughs> was inescapable in the 90s in Hollywood everyone uh-huh. was trying to write like him it, uh-huh. his, you could see his influence in all of these other films that were being made in fact it became sickening this was the period where I really got so I could hardly stand Tarantino because it just, it just his influence had spread to the point that if you were in development which I was for a while you're developing scripts you just read Tarantino bad mock Tarantino, you know, faux Tarantino scripts everywhere because everyone was just so mm-hmm. ecstatic over him. So yeah, for a while there, yeah. he was just like, wow, he was a god. Um, He's on uh, top of the world. The, <laughs> he really was. But I mean, the difference being, he still 
he's still so insanely successful. I mean, he's still, even though it's not, you could say it's not his, his, that, that moment anymore. Who else can, is allowed to make 70 millimeter <laughs> still on film films and, and all, he's still got all this status in the business. Who else has a name like that where you can just say well, Tarantino? So, so did, so did Rick Dalton. No, he doesn't. A name. The problem with Dalton is, is the reason Cliff Booth has to keep saying, don't you ever forget your Rick Dalton is Rick Dalton's name is meaningless and less, right? He's, He's playing the villain. One shot villain always gets killed in TV shows, which was a huge come down in the, at that time. Going into television was still considered like, wow, you, you're in television. That means your career is you're either trying to make a career or you're completely on the skids. So I think if and I, I kind of like this idea. <laughs> I think it could be like, I don't know what my, a comparison. I can't think of a comparison right now. Like Bob Hope, you know, that's, this is a really oldie timey comparison. The comedian would always represent himself as a coward, a latch and a failure in life. And of course, you know, Bob Hope was a noted latch, but he was hugely successful, had a long string of glamorous mistresses and girlfriends, etc. So it kind of makes it safe to present himself as this complete loser this complete lack of the male ideal i i I could see tarantino like really enjoying doing a kind of loser version of himself but you know i I don't how could anyone say he's a loser now he's got more name recognition than any director in hollywood he's he's allowed to do whatever he wants he's got total creative control and every time he makes a movie everybody has to talk about it and see it even if they're and again the, the number of people who now claim to hate tarantino are legion but they all seem to go see the movie Weirdest thing. Yeah, well, I'm not. I guess it's somewhat of a an impressionistic reading. No, no, of the I, whole but I agree. With I'm that not part. arguing for the facts. It just felt that way, and and it made me like like him more, kind of for that. Right. <laughs> if I if I'm reading Iran, then whatever. Well, I mean, I've fuck heard him. <laughs> the impressions on him him kind of differ. I I only know one person who knew him. I never met him, but uh, one person who worked with him very briefly on a he was producing a very low level indie um you know for a while he was really into producing stuff and mm-hmm. so the the editor i knew worked with him um on this little production directed by somebody else and mm-hmm. said you know he's he's this kind of actually adorable nerd enthusiast he really is like this complete film geek he knows every film um he'll constantly bring be bringing you over to his house saying oh my god you got to see this polish film from 19 you know 53 and, and he knows everything about he knows everything about all films he's he's got his own you can tell you can tell in this film yeah you really can but that that he's really like that in life and it's and it's that it's apparently endearing he's he's he he really loves to introduce all sorts of people to film. He like raves out about it. Um, he's got all of these kind of. I've I've only seen him once in person, and that was where I got the you know Frankenstein Frankenstein's monster. Quality. Oh my god! How, how did you see him? Oh my god! He's the most physically awkward human being in the whole world. He's he's much bigger than I thought, and he's got this kind of big blocky hulking body, and it. But he carries his head very low and in front, so he's got like the worst <laughs> posture in the world. Like he's <laughs> and so he. He was kind of just lumping his way through Hollywood where I lived a long time ago at the time. He, I think he looked like he was scouting around. Uh, you know, he was like hanging around this area where there wasn't anything ever. You know, it was in the middle of nowhere. Saw him walking, I saw him walking kind of across around. a street near Hollywood Boulevard, but in the in the uh-huh. behind the, the alleyways behind, and I saw him crossing the street uh-huh. and looking around really intently like I don't know if he was lost. I doubt it. 
um, or if scouting, he was actually probably. scouting. He looked like he was scouting. But yeah, but he was he just moved. He seemed so awkward in his body, and his body was the awkward. It was just as big. It was like he really wasn't stitched together well, like like Frankenstein's monster. Um, so that's all I could think of that he really was. Uh, unusually uh, physically hugely unusual which you can see for yourself just looking at the images of it but but in person it's it's accentuated it's really um it was kind of an amazing thing to see him so i mean i, I haven't i haven't heard anything bad about him in the, in in that way as far as mm-hmm. just in personality if you casually know him um but at any rate it doesn't matter um we really should get into yeah. like you know but, what we think yeah of, i was just curious film. about yeah, <laughs> I know it's no, tempting. Yeah. It's tempting, especially if you're going to go with a uh, where. Where is Tarantino in all this? And of course, I was just sticking with Tarantino loves 1969. <laughs> Let's talk about Tarantino loving 1969 instead of the argument made by Brody and others that somehow he loves Dal- Rick Dalton and, and everything about old Hollywood and hated the hippies. Yeah. And hated the counterculture and hated everything that happened in Hollywood and the country because of these changes, which even if you're going with an auteur argument makes zero sense. Tarantino's biggest investment, as far as I can tell, is 60s, 70s cinema. I mean, that's, you know, exploitation, spaghetti western, um, uh, like kung fu slash Hong Kong martial arts cinema. Um, what else? Uh, new wave cinema. Those are all his touchstones. This, this is the cinema that he evokes constantly. He's not evoking like old, I don't know, what? Yeah. Old Michael Curtiz movies, Casablanca. That's not what gets evoked in his films. So it was just such an odd auteur argument to make that claim. Yeah, well, Browdy himself is probably a senile. Should, should yeah, retire. He's one, he's one of those he handful of really old film critics who have hung on to their jobs with vampiric oh. zeal. The few paying film critic jobs at major any major magazines, and he's hung on and hung on and hung on for just decade after decade. And you're just like, can you die? Could you go away? There's yeah. no. No one can get this these jobs because the, the, these old guys like him and David Denby and there's a couple of others. Um, they just Christian New Yorker. No, that New Yorker is Richard Brody. I yeah, think it is. There's some other one, Lean David Line. Oh, yeah. well, there's Adrian, Adrian Line. Line. Adrian. Is that right? No, I, no, no, no. Adrian Line is the film He's director. He's the filmmaker. <laughs> no, Adrian Martin. Anthony. Anthony Line. I think Anthony Lane. Anthony Line. Anthony, Anthony Lane. Lane or Line. It's Lane. Yeah, another another great one. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the greats, Anthony Lane. Yeah, but anyway, we shouldn't we focus on that. But, you know, before before we move into, like, the meat of it, um, can we talk about the form of the film? Because I bet you have a lot to say. Because I was sort of weirded out by what he was doing just with a form and not either I don't get something mm-hmm. or it, it is truly wasn't necessarily working in the best way because okay first of all it's still a mystery to me who the hell was the narrator of the film that sometimes would pop up yeah. and like tell the story and what the hell is it referencing because it just completely does the omniscient thing and almost like a some kind of old romance mm-hmm Yeah, and I found that I, you know, I meant to actually Mm -hmm. try to deal with that, and and you're right, Mm -hmm. because because it, I found it so unmemorably, I literally forgot. I was writing my review, and I was like, oh yeah, I've got to deal with the narration. Yeah, but it's there. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely there, but because it didn't have a huge impact on me, I just, I I was my review was so damn long, I just kind of forgot about it. And so now mm-hmm. you're reminding me, I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a narrator. I totally forgot. I totally. And it's very intermittent. It kind of drops out for long yeah. periods of time. Yeah. And completely disappears. So it just 
it just doesn't necessarily make sense I mean, to me. Does he want it as part of the storytelling, the once upon a time, the fairy tale, you know, thing that he's got yeah. going that he wants to have the intercession of a storyteller figure? But you're right. It's not it's not like voiceover narration that, that you remember. It's not like some great old film noir no. <laughs> with no. a dying narrator so, or whatever. No. So it felt like eclectic and whatever it worked for the story just to tell what's necessary to tell. But then together with I, I mean, I, I guess he was getting at something. I just m- might have not picked up on it because of the eclectic form of it all with weird flashbacks and mm-hmm. inserts and almost like new surreal. You, you mentioned right in your review, Ziggerberg of Ivan Eisenstein, like he was clearly doing this mambo jumbo of different. Well, and um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think he he's even over accentuating. I mean, that's the one thing he wants to he wants to foreground storytelling in a in a major way. Um, you know, he, he, in the end, he does the once upon a time thing and dot, 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 in case you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like this is a story, I did story structure. So <laughs> amazing the number of people who are not recognizing that the fantastical elements are there um, as part of as part of that. So it's a story. OK, it's a story being told about a particular you know, uh, point um, in time, and the patchwork thing I think makes sense. I meant to go more into this in my review, and I didn't get. And I didn't get. It was just so long, but I wanted to talk about how you know there's an an argument that utopian narratives have to have. Um, a lot of gaps, a lot of openness to allow for a kind of um, what, a kind of space in which to um, what kind of kind of grapple with the possibilities that there are being opened up. So I really think that that's one thing he's trying to do. He's trying to suggest there's a the great thing about 1969 is all the openness of possibility and all the different things. Like you know, a good example would be there have been complaints about the music and normally soundtracks don't you know put together by uh, Tarantino are really prized because he's really great at those. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll always put together an eclectic mix of, of songs kind of sewn in. But this time people were complaining, like, wh- where is the cool 1960s, you know, rock soundtrack? Where, where are all the great figures of 1969 rock? Instead, we've got like Paul Revere and the Raiders and all these much more in their minds, obscure um, pre-69 figures and but he seems to be suggesting well not only are people listening to the radio a lot and those those mainstream figures would have been playing on the radio a lot <laughs> much more than mm-hmm. say the doors um but that what, where was i going with this um uh, blah, 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 blah. um but that he didn't use the soundtrack this time full of but he wants right. i think he wants them to show that again 69 isn't what our our cultural memory tends to be which is a kind of closed down it's all about the hippies it all looks like easy rider or something and yeah. he keeps bringing back like look at sharon tate she looks like really what we associate with an earlier period she's got a very mod look those little mini skirts those little flat boots she looks like kind of that go-go quality he's trying to suggest all of those elements were still in play in 1969 our it's our cultural memory of 1969 that shuts it down as this is where the whole hippie counterculture experiment dies goes bad goes rotten that's how we remember it and the mansons of course are a big part of that but there are lots of other elements too and so Mm -hmm. he seems to want to suggest let's open it up again and look at it as in his take it's more like um this kind of utopian space where people have all this sudden feeling of freedom because there's all this stuff in play 
it's not just Easy Rider. It's and the Doors and whatever. It's Paul Revere and the Raiders and you know Mod Go Go Boots and um, you know he brings in all of this you know super naive stuff. There's still a Western hero wandering around. TV is very is doing very very kind of naive, untouched by apparently untouched by what we think of as the 1960s, late 60s. So I think that's a big part of his project is these kind of open open-ended spaces um, in his films. And he does, because he, he really seems to accentuate it even more than usual, even though there's a, a fairly strong structure if you look at your main characters as Cliff, um, Rick Dalton, and Sharon Tate. Then you can see the threading of the strands, especially when they start getting intercut in the, in the middle. You can start seeing the shape of the narrative easier if you regard it as a three as a three-character narrative. Oh no no you, yeah you can tell that it cuts between, but um, you're right. That, yeah, that, but the pace to, the pace of it is really bizarre though. Yeah, a lot of, that defeated a lot of people. A lot of people thought that's what we, there were just people saying it's the most boring movie. I fell asleep. <laughs> it's way too long. Almost everyone says that. Um, I didn't yeah, what, find what's it. Your, yeah, I mean, I wasn't having a problem with it. I I I didn't find it just because I liked the, I don't know. I liked the tone he had struck, which was. This kind of um, what he seemed to have done something that I found really pleasant, which was to make you feel a certain kind of freedom. Um, so and maybe it's just what struck me and what didn't strike other people. So like there's a lot of like driving scenes or a lot of walking scenes <laughs> like there's very long walking scene of Sharon Tate preceded by a very long driving scene where she picks up the hippie girl and it just is mm-hmm. tangential like it doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything so almost everyone forgets it but when she picks up the hippie girl that's going to be intercut with cliff picking up the hippie girl who turns out to be another hippie girl who turns out to be a man the manson um family member but sharon tate picks up a hippie girl and you know they have a very sweet who is also very sweet very open to the world at the end they hug sharon tate says something like good luck on your adventures so it seems like it's there to counter but you but you know you get that long drive to spawn ranch you've got that the super long walking scene that brings sharon tate past the theater where her movie is playing why hang with her for this long 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 walk but to me it's like it's so you can drink in her hair swinging her long hair swinging and the really comfy stretchy clothes she's got on and it's like there's a whole tone being struck about freedom and possibility in the 60s that has to do with it seems to me anyway real flow real ease of movement real unexpectedness you could always have another really interesting encounter because there's lots of other people who also feel like all of a sudden I've got a lot of freedom I could just hitchhike somewhere I could just wander off somewhere I could try something else. And so since life right now seems to have so little of that, little to none, that I just sat there going, oh, this, why is it? This is so pleasant. This is just pleasant as hell. <laughs> and But I seem to be the only one who would use that word to describe that film. So I think this pleasant. was unique to me of feeling like I really felt like, wow, we're really uptight. <laughs> we really are. I mean, we really are kind of locked into our lives. Like, there's very little well, feeling. We're definitely scared of other people. Oh, yeah. Everyone's scared of other people. Everyone's scared of everything. And probably rightly so. But it, suddenly, I was just really overwhelmed with the feeling of like, God, he's really portraying a, a, a moment of at least the illusion of tremendous physical freedom in the world. And I was just like, damn, that feels good. 
Well, it's interesting that he's saying this, like, drawn-out scenes are actually pleasant. I mean, for me, I was kept watching for signs that it's not, like, 1969, and I couldn't find them, and it was kind of uh, impressive how how meticulously he created the era. And I it also looked like it almost might have done, been done in camera, meaning that he actually, I don't know, brought in all those cars mm-hmm. and did the streets certain way. Um, I was talking to some, some editor. It seemed like in terms of, um, you know, um, what do you call special effects that are done in post-production, it actually wasn't that much. So he clearly created it really accurately to, mm-hmm. I don't know, to, to I guess what it, what it supposedly was, even though he... he he was clearly too young to to really know. Right, it. he was. What is he? He keeps saying he was six or something. I don't know. He was yeah. Young. What is yeah. he? Nineteen sixty-three. Yeah, he was definitely too young. Mm-hmm. But okay, so it's very accurately shown to at least the public um, imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's what people think it was, and I guess it was that well, way. No, in a way. I, I mean, I've read the opposite uh-huh. that people are saying because he does so much obscure stuff uh-huh. that a lot, there are at least some people saying I don't. I don't know. He must be doing obscure stuff on purpose. Like I've just read frustrated comments. Like he doesn't do, he doesn't do what we regard as the big. And they were talking about music again, but there's so much that I, I wish I got. I'm blanking on. Like there's all this minutia of stuff mm-hmm. that of stuff that was on the radio or were or were ads or were that I also didn't recognize. But so it, you mean that means that it was wasn't accurate that it was more. No, of a I think the argument, world? at least from what I've read uh-huh. from anyone who knows, it's it's quite accurate. But it's just okay. obscure, just choosing more obscure stuff that Not people surface, yeah, uh-huh. who weren't you know what an adult then would remember, but that he actually went back. And he's all obsessed with that era, so I'm sure he just found out stuff just from looking. But it just yeah. seemed like there was he's clearly doing stuff with TV and stuff that I just am like, eh, you're probably right. <laughs> I just don't remember all that. But I think he, he at least he's he's combining things that people half remember, people really remember, and people perhaps don't remember because it's more obscure stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, the the accuracy of it is just okay. I, I, to me, I, I guess I, I trusted that it's so yeah. accurate. Well, I did. Absolutely. The, yeah, yeah, I trusted it all. But then again, the four Tarantino movies. This one was very low on entertainment value, and I don't expect much from his films in terms of some kind of saying something because he usually don't. His films are just kind of entertaining extravaganza, and and have some obviously their kitsch and sort of genre parodies to some degree but this one was okay a lot of people say it but i have to say too but how this is not even for most part outside of rick dalton interaction with cliff booth which is like a great kind of bro romance it's just kind of dull and very one note and the characters are flat everyone but these two guys which which are great um brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio and like polanski appears there for just like a few scenes just being uh, what is it he's just recklessly kind of driving in his um small it's a kind of european car down the road and that's it it's it's uh, everyone is there extremely and i don't know just basically just boring and i don't even 
and it felt that way just leading up to the premiere as if it's going to be some kind of this big film that he, Tarantino is finally saying something. He's been making this film or thinking of making his film for, I don't know, five years more or more. And finally he made it. And I'm looking at it and I don't know what he's exactly saying. The only connection I could can, I could draw, I already shared, that he is a sort of a, a, sad, a sad version of Rick Dalton. So I don't know what's what's your take. Well, I have what, the absolutely what, what opposite. Is it actually, about? No, okay. <laughs> absolutely yeah, it's a fairy tale, and it's right. like, well, yeah. no, I think in recent films, and and some people hate his films for this very reason. They liked it when they at least had the illusion that it was all pure entertainment mm-hmm. value. But since at least since Inglorious Bastards, he's really been going for examinations of what what are the power and possibilities of film like how can we use film in this imaginative interaction with the worst aspects of our history as curative as a way to kind of release um a kind of horrible tension around it as a way of like showing that film can kind of help reformulate something mentally so inglorious bastards is the most obvious one that's the one where he's makes the biggest argument for the power of film he's like we're gonna stage the, the counter holocaust and take take back Jewish power in a kind of Jewish film. And of course, a Jewish run cinema where you're going to trap the Nazi high command and you're going to counter Nazi propagandistic cinema. Nazis famously, you know, the masters of of the most evil propaganda that was ever generated. And we're going to show it being countered and destroyed filmically. And he makes it very clear in case you're not, you're just looking at it as, oh, this is a fun alternative history plot. He has a little section where he quotes, he shows you um, a scene from an old Al- Alfred Hitchcock film. I think it's, I always forget if it's Sabotage or Saboteur. He did one of each. I think it's Saboteur. Where there's a little boy trying to board a trolley with can, what are apparently cans of film and being told you're not allowed on public transportation because th- at that time film was so um, flammable that it was considered practically an explosive device. And what, of course, the boy doesn't know is he's actually, there's actually a bomb implanted and he's little, carrying a literal bomb. So the idea of a film bomb, uh, a film, um, what, um, an igniting device, the power of film. And Hitchcock was super, super aware of that. Hitchcock would often talk about the scary, scary power of film, um, that it's, he loved it so much it overcame his own fear of the power of film. Um, so he's using that, and there's a voiceover narration in that case, Samuel Jackson, who who narrates this, these facts, like that at the time, it was, you were literally, that was true, you weren't allowed on public transportation um, with highly flammable cans of film. So he's, he's, he's doing these kind of reimaginings. And then he doubles down on Django Unchained. He gives interviews before, before he, years before he makes the film where he's planning to make it. He's, he was planning to make several films, it seems like, about the Civil War. One was going to be about John Brown. He'd been planning to do that for years. Horrifyingly, he was thinking of playing John Brown himself. <laughs> felt that he and John Brown had a strong physical resemblance, which they do not. <laughs> so it's like, well, let's all thank God he didn't do it. That would have been appalling. But at any rate, he's, he basically made an argument. We don't have any films about the condition of slavery where we mentally take it back, like in the form of, you know, a, a kind of people's a genre film, exciting film for the people. We've got 
the only ones we've got that are like that are things like Gone with the Wind, which are, you know, the most horrifying <laughs> representations of happy, happy slaves working on the plantation who are only sorry that the Yankees come and, and make them free because they don't want none of this here freedom. Um, that's, he says, that's what we have as popular cinema in dealing with slavery. Otherwise, all we have are PBS documentary type things, which are deadening and boring and usually have these kind of condescending takes. He's like, we need to take slavery back kind of in a popular form we need to do it in exciting ways where we can see you know sla- we need to see slave revolts we need we need something in the popular imagination to counter this idea of downtrodden slaves who had to wait for saviors as if there had never been slave i was really thinking he was going to do a slave revolt film like you know a mass he was going to imagine a huge uprising he was just going to reverse history i was very sad he, he didn't he basically has it be one man Django, who does a kind of one-man revolt, um, which I didn't find nearly as satisfying. But at least he was thinking in those terms. How do we get a kind of imagined, uh, in our imaginations, a kind of greater control over that awful narrative? Um, so we seem to be on a kind of mission to move through a series of films, and this is the, the latest one, where now he's like, let's take back 1969. And if you bought the idea, let me just finish quickly. If you bought the idea, as many did, that's why in my review, I quote the Joan Didion line that the 60s in in that writ large idea of sociopolitical upheaval. That died the, the, basically with the Manson murders and that it was a everyone said, yep, and we weren't surprised. It fulfilled a kind of paranoid vision that the that the the counterculture was inherently bad and violent and terrible for the culture and was going to it was going to end in just this kind of, you know, insane, bloody violence with no politics behind it. And that 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 idea that the the you the you could use and they, they were the manson murders were literally used um as a way of saying yeah the silent majority was right it was all it was all bad it was all always tending this way so in other words it's colored our imaginations profoundly about what the end of the 60s were about it was it was the we need it was the rightful end in a horrible way it showed us the truth of the counterculture you could argue tarantino is countering that narrative and just saying, actually, let's open up 1969 again, <laughs> and look at um, it as an era of yeah, possibility. Oh, thing. let me just finish one more thing, and then yeah. and All we'll right. counter, and we'll and we'll stop the Manson murders. I mean, why else is he is he doing a fa- fairy tale about stopping the Manson murders if not to preserve what he loves about 1969? <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's like an alternative history with, with a happy the po- ending with the purpose. Yeah. Well, so, it's not just then, a happy ending. <laughs> it's for the purpose, all right. But yeah. but when you quote John Didion, when you I don't know if you do it just like to show how people in America kind of thought of that moment, because John Didion is like a notorious. Uh, I guess I can say that about her a hippie hater. If you read like Slouching Towards Bethlehem and yeah. her hanging out around San Francisco, and he's a very she's a very kind of conservative. No, actually, I hate her. But, that she, I, but she <laughs> was quoted in like. Eight yeah. out of the ten reviews I read, everyone knows that line. This was the end of the sixties. Yeah. This is where it was all tending. So, yeah, it's the fulfillment. But at least she acknowledges it was a paranoid vision. But mm-hmm. yeah, sure, she's anti hippie. But the point being, I guess I'm trying to suggest, her reading of the thing I think became the popular reading. And of he's the 60s. sort of fighting against it in a way. That's even true. though not directly against John Didion, but of that read of, of that, that reading. Take. Yeah, yeah, of that take. Yeah. Okay. And, so I, and you think yeah. it's done successfully? 
I, mean, I, I, I believe you that it can be like his um, agenda potentially fine. But do you think and it works for you when you like well, look it at it? Well, it did for me, clearly. It didn't work uh-huh. for a lot of people who are just like, I'm sitting here, I'm bored, nothing is happening. I'm watching a bunch of boring scenes. To me, it was all charged from the second from the second you see Manson. And you're like, oh, here's Manson. You know, that that's the whole reason he's there and then disappears because he just diffuses. He just haunts the whole narrative. And then, of course, there are his followers. If you helps to know what was going on with Manson. I don't know how many people who are young know um, that his followers are all doing his bidding, but you see the haunting figure of Manson on the, and, and it's all about, well, that that's the structure of the film. You know, now Manson and Tate are going to come together at some point, or you think if it's going to be historically accurate. And so of course, mm-hmm. part of the, part of what's supposed to, I think be charging it and making it not boring, which so many people just found it boring, is you have him as this kind of warning figure of doom, and then you're going to pick up the followers who are going to do, and and it's all about, well, the whole movie is tending toward, we're going to see the Manson murders. Oh, no, no, that's obvious. I think what, I mean, unless people completely are too young or or didn't even read up anything and don't know, but no, 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 that's clearly, it's going there. And I guess the surprise should have been that it's didn't happen he didn't he right like, and, and he changed the history but it's that's the funny part I, I mean i do have to say it even though like i was waiting okay it's going to be the murders it's mm-hmm. all going there it's like what 22 hours 15 minutes when is it gonna happen but then okay it didn't happen but the, the suspense is not there and, and i don't know did he try to play with suspense because when you say it's charged because of that sort of uh, collusion that is promised um it's supposed to work and it's not charged at all it's like really you didn't find jumped. a whole middle sequence when no. cliff is on it's, at spawn ranch and he's surrounded by the hippies no. who had been they, they had been killing people you know it's not they didn't just do they like one of the first killings is just a guy who's sort of onto them as a kind of weird crowd and they they just kill him and bury him i forget his name yeah he's like that first victim an, mm-hmm. Um, you mean like historically? Yeah, yeah. Historically. Uh, uh, so I think the whole point of the scene <laughs> is you're supposed to be super anxious because you know I think I don't know I I already suspected just because I I know the 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 trend of his film since Inglorious Bastards anyway. So of course I'm thinking he's going to mess with the narrative. He's 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 going to find a way to mm-hmm. to shift how the the Manson narrative goes. So I'm just waiting to see how it's going to play out, but who knows, maybe it's going to be there's going to be a real bloody attack on Cliff, you don't know. I think that he means that scene to be the most tense scene in the film and if that doesn't work for you, wow, you're right. No. You were going to get no tension out of it whatsoever. <laughs> Not at all. I was like, all right, here's like a lot of dialogue. It's drawn out and there's no suspense. And it's clearly meant to be something of of a suspense kind of there. And made me think, I don't know. I don't think he can really do suspense. He can do cage, gore. He can do funny sometimes dialogues. I I had exactly the opposite. I mean, the Mansons, I think, live in my imagination in a way that makes heading toward Manson murders very, very tense, but maybe that's just me. I mean, because you're right, a lot of people have just said, I was just bored out of my mind. But I was fascinated yeah. by the structure. I was like, I was anticipating how is he going to shift the narrative and to what end? So, you know, I had that experience when I was watching Inglorious Bastards, which was more people seem to think was successful overall. 
And yeah, even that had to. big, long middle stretches of people sitting in cafes talking endlessly, endlessly. And But I had a ton to think about because Manson's, I mean, Manson, Tarantino's always working with aspects of film. So, of course, I'm all interested in how is he going to handle the, you know, the German star and what's going to be her deal. I, I had I just had a lot to think about in terms of what's the history, how is he going to play with the history, all that stuff. And I did wonder when I when I was reviewing the Inglorious Bastards, I was like, what are what is everyone else thinking about? I know I have lots to think about. In these long middle sequences that nobody talks about in this film, but what are other people thinking about? And I did wonder that. So I think that's true too of Inglorious Bastards. I had lots to think about, but I think other people are just like, "Blah, what are you doing? This is so long." Interesting. I remember not being bored at all. I, I watched it in Moscow too, and I loved it. But it's been years ago, so I, I don't know how it would play now. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it was <laughs> that one was very loaded. But but again, since you did love the structure and you were like this one of the rare diehard fans of this film, I really, I, I mean, I really don't get not just this filmic structure, but his like eclectic approach to I don't know if you thought of it while filming or what what are this flashbacks and kind of like this extremely cheap almost like film school feel to certain ideas of montage or how things come together is it is it a commentary on that 60s films the dropped frames as well sometimes remember well, like name or one of the flashbacks it, so we can specify. Just any okay. Well, there there are flashbacks all throughout. Like, um, let's say um, Rick Dalton character uh, talking to don't remember what. Oh, uh, I can think of a good name. Al Pacino, mm-hmm. and immediately he says something. There's cut. Like there's a, a flashback of him being either in a film or or he's telling a story, and we see this that case like playing out in yeah. front of our eyes and then boom we, we go back and it's sort of this almost uh, early Eisenstein but not in a good not Eisenstein but I guess because of all this uh, close-ups and pretty uh, kind of I don't know drastic things but yeah I don't know it just was I, I basically I didn't get it at all and it was like seemed very well, I mean, I can think made. of, a, of a, a pretty straightforward example. It's where mm-hmm. he's, I forget who he's telling about the, the the fact that he was number four actor in line for the Steve McQueen part in The Great Escape. Okay. And as he's talking to, who, I forget who he's talking to, he's he's completely playing it down saying, yeah, you know, it's one of those, you know, I was, you know, this number in line, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. I never really had a chance. But then your flashbacks are to him in the role. Of Steve McQueen playing the key, you know, key, a key scene that, that that Steve McQueen, you know, and Steve McQueen becomes a huge star because of Great Escape. And so, of course, he's he's just mentally correcting. He's lying, in other words, to the guy about how little affected he was and how he knew he never had a chance. He And he's going and showing you what his state of mind actually was, which is he had totally put himself into that role, imagined himself in that role, and was lamenting the loss of what could have been the biggest break of his career, which could have made him a much bigger star and protected him from, you know, the changes in the in the uh, the film industry. So that one is directly motivated. Well, so that's at least imaginative. That's yeah, that's I don't even think it's imaginative. That's standard. I mean, that's not well, that, but that what unusual. About the flashbacks. No, no, no. That one fine. But what about the nor- the flashbacks that they're the most dumb ones? Just I don't know, Cliff Booth being on the um on the roof fixing yeah. uh, fixing his TV antenna and then ooh, the flashback why exactly he can't get a job. And but and then again, back all- to him saying, Oh, weird. 
Well, I guess I'm confused. Let me just yeah. stop. What, but each of them are motivated. I think that's why I'm confused is because to me, they're just normal flashbacks. Like what, what, was, what was the causation or what was the exact state of mind? Or I mean, I do think Tarantino is working with the loosening up of cinema in the 60s, which is what he loves. You know, one of the things that everybody loves about the French New Wave is, you know, Hollywood cinema had gotten very mostly had gotten quite kind of tense, um, uptight and ossified in its Hollywood conventions. And you get the, as you get the influence of the French New Wave, you start loosening up the structure. Everything doesn't have to be cause and effect in these super, super tight three act or whatever five act structures, but usually three. You know, everything doesn't have to follow everything. You could have a quick break. You could have jump cuts. You could have sudden moves into fantasy or sudden projections backward. I mean, that's a big part of the, of the effect of of French New Wave is you feel this great relaxation of all that uptightness of form so you can get far more inventiveness and you can evoke far more like of what, what you could say what subjective experiences of life like while you're sure, in one situation like yeah you're well, that's exactly literary right. thing but but I think uh, obviously I know about these things but it's I specifically talk about this film to me they were so not working it was so crude so heavy-handed i had no problem and whatsoever i was just like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i was watching with my eye i was looking left or right how people were taking it yeah, but what's what's and so I, bad about doing a, a flashback that's motivated they're not, these aren't even wild flashbacks these are motivated flashbacks it's not know. even like they it's wow co- out of nowhere there were constant flashbacks. There uh-huh. were constant uh, jumps to some scenes. The person is talking about something, and we. I know, but why, I'm trying to get at why is that inherently he's talking a, bad, about. a bad thing, or what? What exactly about it's it? It's not is inherently. Bad. It's just not working in this in this movie, and it makes it weirdly crude. Like it just wasn't working. I think it made it somehow even more heavily stitched. Even though I do understand that he's playing, um, being a. A sort of commentator on films and a film fanatic he, he knows about different genres and he can like eclat- do the eclectic thing and do but i mean the eclectic uh, thing yeah. if, if it's the style of the whole film it's like it's not like you're even suggesting it goes through the whole film so in that case it becomes a pattern of the film so doesn't that kind of shove you toward well now i've got to work with the pattern that's been so in other words he didn't just erratically well, do be- one I don't well, know. Well, the pattern is interesting. Uh-huh. That would be uh, well. Let's put it this way. Okay, fine. That this is a pattern that clearly makes it extremely boring and even not not working even more, at least for me. And then uh, to bring the cla- that the eclectic kind of argument is true. And then the narration that happens like maybe twice. I think twice I counted, uh, twice during the movie out of fucking nowhere. I get it. Or fine, like some kind of new wave nod. But again like not not really been funny and it's almost like if it's an attempt at this playing with a form satirically like this time not even in a kitsch way but like doing a straight satire it's just it it wasn't working you like can it doesn't really take you in it it, you're just looking at how but the sausage is made in in a, in a bad way, kind of, and, and and the actors are so great. So obviously, it's all saved by, I don't know, the, I I have to say the genius, I guess, of DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in this characters, and the characters are well conceived. But that's the only good thing I can say about this whole endeavor. Well, that makes it tough to talk about because for you, it's just all like not working. <laughs> so yeah, and no, for no, me, it's I'm like, cute. well, but uh-huh. I'm going, I'm seeing patterns that are, you know. 
they're not like there's not like this random shit going on. So for me, that just means you have to move to analytical mode. You have to move to maybe this doesn't seem like it was made for me. Mm-hmm. But if I'm recognizing what are clearly set patterns, then that shoves me over toward, well, then you got to work. It's up to you to work out what at least the attempt at coherence is before you say it isn't working. You have to be able to say this is what the attempt is. And so well, I can see the attempt. That's why we're discussing the form. No, no. The what? What is the specific attempt that would make him continuously do something? Is what I mean. Because, yeah. Because again, if you can see someone like I don't know, you look at it, a lot of indie films, and they're and they can often be very, very half baked, and somebody tried something, and you can see what's truly erratic. Like, oh, you just kind of threw that in there, and I can't, I can't link it up to anything else. Then it seems like you're you often you have to throw up your hands. You're like, I can't even. I can't even see what you're trying to do. But in this case, it seems like Tarantino is at least earned that you say, oh, I can see he's specifically he's specifically treating the year 1969 and these characters and these events in this way in order to do X. But I think he messes up or something. But if you to just keep saying it's just not working without saying, well, this is what he's attempting to do, clearly, because he keeps setting up all this stuff and doing it consistently. Then it well, seems like from well, yeah, and then that's all I mean. Yeah, it just what's seems like you, what's had that you you get. Yeah. Well, I just mean if if, no, if no, no, that's ahead. all I mean. If 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 you're recognizing coherent patterns, that suggests there's a coherent vision he's trying to have. Which for you, you're still saying no. you could still say yeah, but he's really I don't. It's not working because of X. That's all I'm trying to get at. Like it's what was he trying to do that didn't work. When he was doing all the flashbacks, that's all I mean. Well, they worked for you, and I get no, and I now get what you what you're describing as this, um, I guess, uh, sort of sense of freedom that he managed to create with. Well, no, I'm with, saying with he's this, trying yeah. to he's trying to reclaim a vision of 1969 that is a utopian vision of a certain type of freedom of a certain kind of adventuring. And he's trying to do it kind of on behalf of the, of a public that got sold in 1969, retro, retrospectively. I could even get bigger and say it's on the 50th year anniversary. So it's 50 years ago now. So it could further give rise to why don't we think about where we are now? <laughs> where is where is the freedom? Where, we're in a society in considerable turmoil. And yet, where is there any freedom or any new possibility or any new anything? So he seems to be trying to do, let's look again at, at 1969, especially, and film will allow us to do this and think about it. So that's, I think he's got a big project, which, again, he's been pursuing in different forms for the last several films. <laughs> So that's what, how, for me, it all becomes interesting, even when there's something I can't account for. I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know what he was doing with that. Like, beyond he's doing storytelling, I'm not sure what he was doing with the voiceover. I'd have to watch it again. But it just seems like that's a big, that's a big ambitious project that it's fair to say some of it may not be working, but it seems important. And I just am not, I guess I'm frustrated because I'm just not seeing it. On the part of the people who hate it, I'm, no, I'm and I guess hatred is the thing or, or find it boring that stops you from doing a full reading of like, well, I can see he's, his, his project is X and it's just a bad project or it's a stupid project or it, it only partially succeeds. So I keep trying to get what's the alternate overall reading. And I, I just am not, I keep not, Brody has one, but I think it's a terrible reading. Where he thinks it's it's all yay old Hollywood and what a shame there was ever a counterculture, which just seems crazy. 
Yeah, well, I don't know what other readings were made by the some sort of prominent media critics, so I can't. No, I'm testing you. To what do you ones. think he's doing overall that would make him do things like this? I mean, do you think he's doing anything overall, or trying well, to do something? Since I clearly wasn't tuned into the message, even though I was. No, no, I'm not saying mine is watching. I don't mean my message. I mean, like, do you think he's trying to do no, something? No, to his message. I said I wasn't tuning into his message, so he clearly wasn't doing it for me about the, uh, I don't know, I didn't, basically, since I didn't get much out of the film beyond, <laughs> I keep repeating myself, beyond really the great characters of um, Rick Dalton and his stuntmen and the sort of feel of the irrelevance <laughs> um, that Rick Dalton kind of feels despite his fame and, and money and some kind of new hot Italian wife that by the way it's my personal reading again obviously mm -hmm. no one probably read about it that looks very much like foreign wife of Scorsese, uh, of Tarantino himself mm -hmm. and uh, when Tarantino talks about finally him going into the, the fatherhood and his dream of having many Israeli babies and retiring very soon it's like what is he 55, 56 mm -hmm. It's, I don't know, I can't, that's, that's, that's all I'm getting from that film. Besides the, obviously, uh, the uh, understanding of the historical, um, alter like the alternative history he created uh, in a fairy tale way about the 1960s that is, that is kind of, kind of, I guess, fun to watch to land and uh, to imagine that it could have been something else, but but the brutal murders that actually did happen. So he treats it in a kind of sweet, sweet comical way, which, yeah, I get, I get it from him, the sense of sort of sweet, sweetness rather than the, 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 the kind of the violence that um, I guess that you expect to mm -hmm. happen. But uh, I think I was actually engaging the film with you right now mm -hmm. in fairly formalistic terms um, outside of my just uh, not engagement or boredom by the story. And on the formalistic terms, it didn't work for me. I think I, <laughs> I uh, fairly, um, um, I, I just named why. I think the suspense didn't work. All the, all the, all the um, uh, genre kind of, references or tricks didn't work for me so the the mood didn't actually um yeah the, the I, I basically I, I couldn't turn into his message beyond what i got from just like my own reading of mm -hmm. the characters yeah and uh so as a kind of basically i guess the the major takeaway for, for me uh is that clearly he wanted i, I could tell in the uh that he wanted to say something Big. It's not. It's not Kill Bill. I, I get it. His last few movies were actually trying to be relevant in this kind of big way, and um, and I I don't see it there. It's just not. It's I just mean, not there. Even you, though the attempt is there, I can recognize the attempt. Yeah. Do you, I mean? Do you have favorite Tarantino films from earlier, the earlier period, or is like what's your favorite one? Oh, hard. Um, hard to say. I did. I did really enjoy *Inglorious Bastards*, mm -hmm. and it was sort of epic. It had this epic feeling yeah. coming out of the theater. Mm -hmm. Sure, and, definitely uh, did. Definitely, it was epic. Yeah, and uh, again, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a Tarantino fan. Never was. I think it's fairly. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess when I was, when I was, I don't know, seventeen and watched *Pulp Fiction*, mm -hmm. I was supposed to be blown away, and I was. I guess in some ways, but. Um, I don't think it aged very well. I rewatched it a few years ago. 
Yeah, I've never. I mean, I, I had. I definitely had more Hard to say. trouble with Tarantino. <clears throat> I've been a sort of a long period time equivalent. Very what? Very uh, resistant in some ways, while at the same time always having to say. But I just think he's got such obvious cinematic skills that he it's almost like you have to keep engaging you have to keep going back at least i find i do even well, though entertainment no it's he's entertaining for sure most of the times well yeah and i, th I just think he's got e even more talent than that he's got he's got something more he's got something that can really grab you i think you know parts yeah pulp, at least in my memory i haven't seen it recently pulp fiction were, were great but parts were so appalling i couldn't believe my eye. you know he's always had you know this, uh, there's usually a big cry of misogyny there is about um this latest film but you know mm -hmm. remember that the girl the 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 woman i forget who played her uh i think she was a spanish actress shoot she was famous at the time um anyway in pulp fiction she, yeah she's playing the girlfriend of bruce oh. willis's boxer character and you just Let's never You've never seen. She's clearly being idealized. They even talked about her in in the press as she's the tulip growing in the dung in the dung hill. So out of all this ugliness, you get this beautiful creature, and she's like she is mentally not fully developed. She literally talks like, "Can I have blueberry pancakes? Will you give me oral pleasure?" You know, it's literally like she's some she's I don't know what she is. She's some child woman. And there's, you know, there there's a little bit of disturbing resonance of that in the idealized figure of Sharon Tate, I also will admit. So I sort of had to, you know, kind of grit my teeth over some of the more vapid moments of Sharon Tate. But at least it was clearer how she was meant to be perceived at least to me in the culture seemed. yeah no to me too that, that i didn't i wasn't bothered at all even though people say oh yeah people hated that sequence kid. where she's just hanging around and watches herself in the movie and they're like why was that the portrayal of Sharon Tate? she doesn't even have any lines <laughs> um so yeah so a lot of people have hated that but you know i hated a god i came out of pulp fiction going what the fuck was that and no and there's so many people who love that film we're like what do you mean i'm just like who does women characters like that anymore what year is it i'm like what and she was clearly being wow. held up as some sort of wow this is the model of femininity or something jesus it was so appalling so that's funny but that's the thing i actually try i i, I don't know if it comes out wrong but i don't do any moral reading of uh, of this film since that's mostly what we're talking about or his i don't know so-called perceived uh shallowness of I don't know, misogyny. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what he's accused of. So I'm not. I'm not doing any reading of that. I'm just trying to talk. Yeah, he's always accused. I mean, fairly of cinematic levels. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not oh. talking about it at all. But I'm curious about the just in a uh, history level, and you might know more about it. What's his take on Polanski? Because it makes me think. What does he think actually about Polanski portraying him? Uh, and almost not showing him at all. And oh, kind exactly. Of just, yeah, <laughs> is he a fan? But Rick Dalton. Okay, again, back to my to my thing. I'm sticking to my guns. If he is Rick Dalton, and Rick Dalton does say, um, and it defies by the Richard Brody idea that it's just um, some kind of MAGA film anti hippie. So Rick Dalton says that he, well, Polanski, great filmmaker, the hottest thing in Hollywood. He loves Polanski, and uh, yeah, in the end, kind of implies that he might meet him and all that. But but again, I don't know what's Tarantino. Kind of taken it. it. Just was seeing him there so poorly casted from my perspective, and only for like three seconds. It was truly bizarre. I was really waiting for 
for Polanski character. I think he's he's defended him in the past, which isn't uncommon um, in Hollywood pre, Mm -hmm. at least pre Me Too, pre Harvey Weinstein. He was saying, he said sort of, I forget exactly what the quotes are, but he said things in support of Polanski, but most of Hollywood has said things in support of Polanski. But then after Me Too, Mm -hmm. I think he probably got pretty rattled. After all, who's worked more with with Weinstein than Tarantino? Who are we kidding here? There's no way he doesn't know, especially when Uma Thurman is claiming all these horror show things. And he, Tarantino dated Mira Savino for mm-hmm. a while. And Mira Savino is the one who claims she wouldn't she wouldn't do quid pro quo. She wouldn't have sex with Weinstein. So he killed her career. There's no way Tarantino Whoa. was not in the thick of this, but he denies it. Um, so anyways, to me, it was like that was his equivocation. He was both sort of defending the excitement of Polanski as a filmmaker, but making sure Polanski is not on screen very much. And you have that that scene where I think it's uh, Steve McQueen is commenting on how that's that weird segue that now if you want to talk about something that maybe doesn't work is is uh, what's his face? What's the actor's name? Damien Lewis, I think, as Steve McQueen has this off the wall monologue in the middle of the Playboy party about Sharon Tate and about why she and JC bring the hairdresser oh, are always together. Bizarre. And you were just, I was just sitting there going, what are you doing? But one of the things yeah. he says is <laughs> JC bring is going to be there when Polanski inevitably fucks everything up. And that seemed like definitely a comment toward, and we, we know how actually what happens with Polanski later. So that seems to be at least I was reading it, but I was really grappling in that scene going, what are you, what are you doing with McQueen here? And then saying, it was really weird. That like was a he weird tell, segue. Yeah. He had to like jam this information in. Yeah. And that's and how he thought he can do it. Who was wondering? Who right. would be wondering? Who would be sitting there going, I, I wonder why she's friends with that hairdresser. I mean, who cares? So I thought that was really a scene where I was just like going, I don't know what to do with this. Of all the uses to make of Steve McQueen, for yeah. Christ's sake. So yeah, I was but you know what? But you know what? I do have to say that um, since we will bring up at least a little bit Mary Heron's film, Charlie yeah. says about about the uh, Manson, the um, Manson spoilers and um, the murders. I do have to say that Tarantino, even in this scene that I agree with you, doesn't work that well. Yeah, yeah. One thing, one thing he did. Sure, some people might find references obscure and all that, unless they're like huge uh, film connoisseurs. He did explain everything very well and who is what (laughs) what relationship they have uh what's going on i think it's like very sort of accessible on all levels despite it being like a uh, a period piece uh with um based on unreal unreal people and all that Mm so so unlike mary herons and and that scene by the way unless he explained it uh, sure, people probably wouldn't care who is Jay Sebring and what's going on, but it's sort of for the uninitiated. It it kind of kind of puts puts all the characters in order in the in the and it's, very and it's real in, way. Yeah, it's real insider info. I mean, it did seem interesting to say Sharon Tape has a type. I I thought that was interesting because yeah. look at they're both these little <laughs> they childlike are. looking they men. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh yeah, that's kind of. But I mean, again, that's kind of mildly interesting, I guess. But I already know. So maybe that's why I yeah, was like... Yeah, you already know, but uh, some people won't know. So they're like, oh, all right, this is what's going on. I'm talking about the pure, like completely initiated ones. Yeah. Unlike Mary Heron, who I feel... we can, I don't yeah, know what's going We haven't talked about it, but yeah, she didn't explain much. It's all very obscure and it's, uh, I don't know, sort of barely working at moments. 
parts right. of it are kind of interesting. About the, the movie Charlie Says, very obscure. You probably have not seen it. Maybe not even <laughs> I hadn't heard of it. Uh, Evgenia yeah. found it. But it's another interesting, it just came out earlier this year, right? So it's another 50. Like two months ago. Two months like ago. Basically the same time. And it's already yeah. streaming and everything. Um, yeah. And it's also a 50th anniversary of kind of treatment of Manson, and but really just his followers. Um, well, that's not true. We, we, we get It's all flashbacks, practically, of the, the, to, yeah. the three young women who are being held in solitary, who are um, Manson followers. And you keep flashback, tons of flashback to kind of explain you know how they got in there and what was going on and they of course start off they're totally still totally brainwashed by that's why the charlie says title and then by the end this what is she a social i forget what she is a social worker a psychoanalyst like a social worker she She brings them around to the point where they have to recognize who they who they were before they met charlie and the absolute you know uh, nihilistic meaninglessness of the of the murders they did and so that's that's where you wind up so yeah we both watched it just to see well what is mary heron doing with the manson thing the same year as um tarantino does his um and yeah it was a really god that was a drab (laughs) drab little piece that you had to kind of struggle to say I mean, admittedly, I, 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 part of the reason I, I come back to Tarantino is you're right. Hugely dazzling entertainment value. Um, and Mary Heron is, is going the opposite way of like, I yeah. refuse to entertain you. <laughs> so you're going to have to watch, you know, four women sitting on the floor uh, <laughs> talking a lot. And then you're going to flash back to the Spawn Ranch location, mainly. To see, though, you know, one young woman, especially, um, what's her, I forget her name in real life, Leslie, Leslie, I'm forgetting her last name. It's the, the real young woman. She's nicknamed Lulu by Charles Manson. And it's mainly Leslie going to Van be. Houten? I yeah, think that's Leslie it. Van Houten, the real right. name. Yeah, yeah. That's Lulu. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how she's, it, you know, when she comes in, she's the, the newbie and how she's, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, brainwashed into this um, cult, but doesn't perceive it as such and goes through her whole, and then by the end um, is kind of coerced into being part of one of the, um, murders um one of the sets of murders um mm-hmm. the second set of the lobiancos i think that's their name um not the sharon tate murders um yeah so anyway that's basically the structure of it but yeah boy is it <laughs> i don't even know what to say about it um it wants you to, to take a sympathetic <laughs> more sympathetic view of the young women even though i thought it was interesting that she chose not to really show you who they were even though her the the social workers project is to show them who they were before they met charlie we don't really find out why why are they are they adventurers like the hip, hippie hitchhiker in in uh, once upon a time are they you know you know in squeaky from's case she came from a hideously ab- abusive home was homeless um was out on the streets and you know very disturbed by the time she got picked up by manson um you know one assumes that they're at least a mixture of total down and out um young women and maybe some that aren't that that wind up getting pulled in but but the movie doesn't show any of that it's just their time um at spawn ranch so i don't know you're right i was just it's not my kind of movie um it really isn't it's got an agenda that's very very clear we're supposed to be highly sympathetic with the young women a kind of and you know there's the the final line of the one who's susan atkins portraying susan atkins i think it is is that right yeah i think it's susan atkins yeah Yeah, there's a series of quotes at the end over their faces after they've kind of come out of the brainwashing and are realizing that they're going to have to spend the rest of their lives knowing they did these you know 
horrific murders um, for no for no good reason because Charlie says, and um, it's the her final line is something about that all of this could have happened just out of the need to be loved, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> all right, uh, I yeah. And you agree. And in this case here, we're especially lacking any kind of backstory yeah. of hor- hor- potential horrible abuse of, of those ladies. It's supposed to be all con, all con. Let's give you the context so yeah. you'll understand these young women. And then you come away going, but do I understand them? Yeah, but I mean, no they're young. You're, you're always young and impressionable. You know, there's a lot of young, super young, vulnerable people. Is the suggestion anyone could have been brought in? We see another young woman the- who rejects it immediately. And, and says, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, he says, what kind of daddy did you have? Because she's being very scornful. And she says, the kind of daddy who you know, helped me not to take this kind of shit from, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird conversation. Um, but she yeah. winds up leaving because she's not going to, she's not going to put up with it. Um, but, the, but the funniest thing I think about this film, again, uh, I guess message wise or some kind of mangled mm. message wise. <laughs> did you see how um, there was a sort of this fantasy, almost like uh, alternative oh, yeah. ending alternative to the ending. film? <laughs> Yeah. Of um of what would have been if Lulu, the last Lee Van Hooden character, the sort of supposedly the more innocent one yeah. out of the three initially. Uh, that if she did agree to a biker guy to take her out of the commune and just hop on his um, motorbike and, and just ride leave. away, <laughs> right away, and because there was this scene in the middle of the film where he does come back um, after spending a night with her and tries to take her back, and she just decides to stay with Charlie, and she's clearly under his kind of control by by Charlie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but the, so what is exactly because like supposedly Mary Heron was making this again like a female centered, yeah. Sort of like quasi feminist film <laughs> that actually in the end she could have been rescued that, by a knight in shining yeah, by, armor. By only a, it's a motorcycle. A good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that other conversation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy is very kind of like good looking good and looking. blonde. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, and even blonde, that, that daddy like, conversation. Like a, <laughs> yeah. What kind of daddy made you the way you are? So everything <laughs> is, you know, you even start to wonder is that the point? Is she trying to show that all of these young women? Are get it, are somehow controlled by men, and it's just a matter of picking and choosing, which is the or not even not controlled, Manson. but like, <laughs> yeah, it's the alternative. It's as if she said, "What was the alternative? Oh, yeah. If only, if only she did that. If only she'd taken the motorcycle <laughs> guy like, instead. Yeah. yeah, like, um, what about so? Uh, so that's <laughs> a more interesting any- movie, actually. That's if if that had been more stressed, that would have been a more interesting movie. <laughs> And it would be almost a more interesting kind of, uh, what do you call it? Some kind of, what is she trying to say? Some sort of message about the 60s in a way. Yeah. But yeah, but it wasn't there. It wasn't, it was, I think, I, I don't know what's the intentional ending. What did she mean by this fairy tale little thing that uh, while uh, Lulu is ready in the prison and she's thinking about that, what if she did that? But yeah, but yeah, it's extremely, I guess why I thought it's interesting to bring it up just because the characters, um, uh, some of them are the same. I don't. I, I'm not sure if Tarantino focuses who is Susan Atkins, who is what is it, Patricia, yeah, and who is Lulu. Yeah. It wasn't exactly. He, he, I think he didn't care that much who is who historically and to show them no. as the real characters. You could tell which was which squeaky, cool. obviously, but otherwise you could then. tell squeaky, but otherwise no, and which which is totally cool. But the Manson guy is also like almost yeah. You, I see why he was doing that. He appeared only for like again like half a minute. Yeah, but um, but yeah, but the Mary, I do still have to say I mean the Mary Heron's film I guess had some sort of 
some sort of interesting casting of the girls. I don't know what else good to say when when they compare well, character I mean, wise. She seemed to really yeah, be focused not- on, it, but even that didn't seem very illuminating. On what's how do you go? How do you brainwash someone? You know, yeah. how do you do it? And it, but even that, it just seemed like broad stroke. I already know that, you know, you seem to be giving them everything you're giving. You're lavishing apparently all this affection and, and you're not coercing them for sex. There's a whole scene about how he's not going yeah. to coerce her. But of course, it's all coercion under, no, under but the surface. There's like a, yeah. Um, and, no, that, but, and that keeps mm-hmm. getting more naked as you go until by the end, he's actually f- physically abusing the young women. But. It, so you're like, yeah, no, I I get it. There's all these these easy come ons, right, to get people in. You're you're offering them all this, you're a kind of alternative home. Everyone's loving, everyone's accepting, everyone, you know, <laughs> endlessly to the point that you know it makes you want to scream. I think if you're normal, you're like, you know, everyone wouldn't have to be constantly saying, "We love you, yeah. we accept you," <laughs> over and over. Yeah, and at the same time, being super abusive, it's sort of like right. there, there are clearly some kind of American. Um, God, no, what do you call it? It's kind of like this huge ups and downs that could destabilize the, the, the young, the young right. women and kind of make them docile. And I do have to say, I was like, one one moment I laughed out loud, but that's just probably because of the Russian heritage. Mm. Um, when he, uh, just because of being angry that Terry Melcher is not going to give him, not right. going to sign him, he beats up one of his uh, women, do you yes. remember? Yeah, like pretty violently sort of right. twists your hands and all. And then she's um, telling Lulu, who is sort of a newcomer and still a bit surprised by this treatment. She's saying that it's no different to be had by a man you love yeah. uh, than like making love to him or right. something. It's the same, same thing. And this, this is such a... This is such a Russian saying. Like, oh, if he really? beats you, we, we say, if he beats you, he loves you. Oh, so, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Those are, I think, think about- there are folk sayings like that from a bunch of countries. Wow, but that's so true. Yeah, and different, <laughs> definitely not in America. There's no, no like, there's no, no thing no. like that. But yeah, but that's some sort of like a very old school, just um, kind yeah, of yeah. Guess, patriarchal culture, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, culture reading. But, um, well, and but yeah, but that, that yeah. is the only funny moment. No, and, there, and actually, there is a little early scene. Scene where the the women have to eat after the men, so that's and True. and you know kind of underscoring food dependency is, is good too because that's another coercion technique. But other, it's that kind of broad stroke stuff that you already know anyway. So it's not like you feel like you're gaining tremendous insight into how no. these specific young women, even though we are really focused on three, you know, got got coerced into this so I don't know I know she seemed like in the end there's like a, if we go back even though I was like trashing Tarantino's flashback mm. here the flashbacks are so banal and the whole structure of it clearly very clear structure very straight just mm. with the flashbacks and then their um, prison reality it's very boring and almost made me feel of here as of Mary Heron as just some kind of middle brow illustrator you know mm. when you kind of <laughs> try to take some color pencil and like fill in the yeah. already outlines that are there drawn by someone else because it's based on a book right it was like big book called family i written pretty um, um i don't know maybe 10 years after oh yeah to the murders uh, i read into it a little bit yeah so i don't know if it tells you anything more than mm, yeah. <laughs> the, end of the book um yeah, they, I guess the only interesting thing, if anyone can kind of get anything from the film, it was uh, the script was written by the woman who herself uh, grew up till, I don't know, probably till her early teenage years uh, in a commune, mm-hmm. in a kind of cultish commune, not not the devilish cultish commune, but still one of the communes. So supposedly it has to get some kind of accuracy in terms of how it was run. 
Might oh. be the food thing is yeah. from there. So it's sort of like the mix of, again, it's slightly personalized. It's not just purely the Manson story, but also the experience of the screenwriter being a commune kid. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, but... Huh. But that's all. That's all. That's all I can say. And and one thing about both, um, since the kind of I got deep into this in the last week, and um, neither Tarantino nor Mary Heron um, got there at all. And it's not like they have to because mm. it's uber paranoid. But I do have to kind of bring it up. There's this book that just came out, maybe like a bit over a month ago, called Chaos: Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the Sixties, oh, right, right. by um, some kind of like. Um, uh, weird uh, kind of freelance uh, former journalist Tom O'Neill Tom O'Neill mm-hmm. I think Tom O'Neill uh, who basically got to research this weird ties of um, that, that definitely have some like factual ground of Charles Manson to the MK Ultra mm-hmm. uh, CIA project that boils down to CIA uh, using um LSD mm-hmm. to try to deprogram people to do all kind of weird stuff to become assassins mm-hmm. or I don't know they just experimented with uh, kind of mind control mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this is definitely not a paranoid thing generally that they did that there's like um, even though a lot of the documents were destroyed they definitely this is like there was a reality and there some ass- assassins are connected to Jeff mm-hmm. gamers and then it gets probably too paranoid for <laughs> for most people to even talk about it but there's like a weird thing about Charles Manson who spent years in jail and then we weirdly like got a parole and he was hanging out around Haight-Ashbury mm-hmm. like like it was the center of this country culture at, mm-hmm. at some moment right before 1969 mm-hmm. and supposedly yeah he was kind of given acid and he has weird ties to undercover wow <laughs> undercover I love the story. and I, I mean it. I don't want to like anyone who <laughs> the, the book is written in this really kind of excited uh, <laughs> rabid way clearly the guy has been researching for 20 years uh-huh. initially it started as an article it never got published anyway anyone who wants to read this like you can buy it on Amazon mm-hmm. but uh, just thinking about it because clearly the, the um, part of the cu- counterculture in, in the 60s and the Manson's family too was so called turning on right taking acid and like opening mm-hmm. up your mind but then clearly that was where acid came from and specifically the Manson case mm-hmm. even if it has the um even has a little bit of truth to it or I don't know how much it's it, it wasn't a very free loving or some um, I don't know. I don't know what. It, it wasn't a very <laughs> necessarily ca- kind. Yeah, kind from what I hear. Was used in all kind of ways. <laughs> you know, so much of the experience. You know, I, you know, when you know people firsthand, they'll tell you, oh, there was so much that was not. <laughs> you were on the left, but, and it was not all sweetness and light by any means. I, I, I just find this thread of a story. I mean, obviously, I'm interested in, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, in the idea of psychedelics that did seem to be coming out, came out. Um, out of um, actually intelli- intelligence community, but yeah, not that not that anyone gonna like necessarily mm-hmm. put it on screen. It, it is probably too p- p- paranoid, at least for the mainstream narratives. But um, but yeah, that 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 connection was super interesting. So if uh, even though he can't, uh, the journalist who wrote it, um, he doesn't have all the evidences, but he has enough to kind of at least consider possible <laughs> that Charles Manson was sort of like. Yeah, uh, the assassin recruiter, recruiter who then created the family and created 
in a way that people sort of believe this weird kids assassins who would do his bidding right, right. <laughs> would kill for him which is i would not clear what to kill counterculture to what uh-huh. intelligence communicated the hippies i mean i, I don't want to like speculate too much <laughs> because you don't want to um, and you know he had if, if, that, if you could buy this um, in any remote way mm-hmm. yeah you could certainly say you know his whole he supposedly wanted to start a race war this is all like this is all documented and you know of course he mm-hmm. sends he sends them out because if they do these attacks on the rich but plant evidence that like the black panthers did it stuff the blacks did it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah then you could trigger this race war that he thinks is inevitably going to happen and then he and his followers are going to go underground and wait it out <laughs> and going to become a leader and then they'll come up and the, and the and black people will win and they'll but they won't be able to you know, be leaders themselves, so they'll need white help. So Manson's going to come back up essentially and run the world <laughs> and take over. And you're just like, wow, wow. <laughs> so yeah, he had he had quite the theory going. But you know, you could see how if you wanted to, you know, it makes it makes wonderful sense in a kind of paranoid way. It really does. I mean, I've read a bunch of his bios, and of course, none of that's in there. He's like the you know, poor, poor Manson in a way, his childhood is the ultimate misery story. So, you know, he's a true down and outer that that's, that's very true. So he would have been easy pickings if, if there's any evidence for, for that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause he himself probably was deranged. Was his mom, I think almost like an underage prostitute or yeah, something of that kind. Who rejected close, him close multiple times. And yeah, he wound up, <laughs> he just wound up in what various juvenile halls, foster care. Now his whole, his whole childhood is just <laughs> a, an almost unbelievable level of, of misery and rejection it really is yeah that's true well anyway but that was that was kind of like a uh, like a side note for anyone interested wow uh, yeah in the masses murders because that seems to be like a, a, fa- a fascinating book um mm. i read like only a few chapters so far like so but many it, but it's definitely interesting conspiracy <laughs> theories are just wow <laughs> they're so com- yeah compulsively it's, readable it's out there. <laughs> and they always pretty. are just believable enough to kind of hurt you <laughs> yeah and who knows some of them i mean yeah. you know, some of them are true another good read along the line since i'm already on a on a banner. <laughs> acid acid dreams. No, that one is actually not a rabbit book uh. written by like a very um I forgot their names, but you can look it up. Acid dreams, just about mm. how the yeah the proliferation at least of acid definitely came out of intelligence community. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes more um, sense. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that makes more sense. But it, it has no deranged theories of Manson at all. Right, it's sort of just like right. you know, almost just like a straight history book. But well, well written. I, I, yeah, I was also kind of when researching for the film started reading that. But um, so it just back to, I guess to the idea. Mm. It, it's interesting what you're saying. I'm not arguing against it. We were just kind of slightly <laughs> fighting about the yeah, film. Yeah, but so I believe yeah, me. What are you getting? It's my compulsion you, yeah. now. Sorry. <laughs> I keep but getting No, but I'm, I'm super interested <laughs> because it's uh, I, like, obviously we can disagree. It's totally fine. But I kind of, I find it interesting how you see what you get from the film. Mm. I, I wish I could get it. The sense of freedom that he sort of recaptures and also because of the fairy tale mode of it kind of recreates an alter- and mm-hmm. sort of alternative history of it. And I guess just also the... Um, just the um, what is it? Um, uh, just the visual quality of the film and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that it that it works for the, this way because, yeah, it's just somehow hard hard for me to get there. 
but but I, th- I kept thinking though there's like I do have to give him even more credit than I got so far moments of that for me are, are so great that I kind of went <laughs> on an imaginary th- uh, thinking about this great Rick Dalton character and the um, the um, Cliff both the stuntman is that it almost would have been some kind of potential um, Coen Brothers film mm-hmm. if they if if he focused even more <laughs> on this sort of guy with a waning career, former mm-hmm. big star, and and his stuntman, and the murders did happen around him, and he is the neighbor, everything the same, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't even notice because he's so entangled in his right. kind of <laughs> career going down, and he would have been just probably drunk or what, <laughs> and had a wife there, and the murders would happen, and that I don't know, Tate would have been, I don't know, running around yelling <laughs> next to his house, but he would be like passed out, drunk from booze or something like that. But basically, like situating him in this real historical period, but not rewriting the history, but just like focusing on on that kind of transitional period for for an actor for Hollywood. Yeah, especially a failing but, a failing actor, <laughs> failing anything actor. interest in America interest the Coens for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that, that kind of more of a Cohen film. That kind of buddy, you know, fractured buddy relationship. Yeah, that they always. Yeah, and that love. Is somehow yeah. has a real human element. It almost like to me was almost on kind of the uh, you wrote about it in your review. Yeah. I totally agree. The heartfelt kind of scenes with the little girl and <laughs> the, the real emotion that despite the kind of par- par- like somewhat ironic tone of everything, but the real emotion that comes through um, from Leonardo DiCaprio character, it- it's almost like not totally typical of um, of Tarantino and it really mm-hmm. works here. I think there's like a like a real emotion in that moment. So that's why I thought, whoa, this is great. If only it was almost like expanded in a different direction. But the, I mean, obviously I understand it's just me. Oh and, no, but that uh, was my favorite. See, that's that sequence. That, was that middle that middle sequence. But that part of it is my is my favorite part. Because yeah, he you know, and it also makes sense. He's being he's being forced to take on you know the director's obsession with the zeitgeist. So he has to wear the outfit that he hates because mm-hmm. he won't look like Rick Dalton anymore. And the guy's like, yeah, that's the point. So all of a sudden, you have to like, essentially, he looks like he's got Dennis Hopper's outfit on from Easy Rider. He's got his mustache. He's got his jacket. God, he does look like that. Yeah. So and so there he is all miserable reading in a really old fashioned, you know, pulp Western novel, Bronco, whatever, something. Some Bronco Buster, and yeah, and he just has this ludicrous exchange with his eight-year-old, who's who's a far more you know cliched. Uh, John Dolan said, you know, that's respectable Hollywood, you know, of that era where you know all of a sudden got all these mad method actors, but he had he had never been part of it, and old Hollywood wanted no part of it as a role, completely scorned all that stuff. Um, that was not that was not they were interested in their stylized theatrical, you know, that they'd been trained up in display, and they hated they hated all that mumble what they considered all that mumbling all that method acting but anyway so he has to take on the 60s for the first time and and it has these unexpected payoffs but it's being played for laughs mostly almost almost all the way through um or at least there's a there's as you say irony and it's kind of a ludicrous you know him being hectored by this by this eight-year-old um throughout the scene and coming to the realization that he's like bronco billy you know it's just classic he suddenly realizes he that's why it's moving him. He identifies with the character. So he learns how to identify with a character for the first time. He's he's an actor who's in what, you know, who's been around for, I don't know, how long is he supposed to have been around? 15 years. And he's just discovered this. So there's something kind of sweet about this unformed person having a complex reaction to a performance for the first time. And yeah, and then his eyes fill with tears. And I have to say, I'm not a DiCaprio fan. And he just pulled that off perfectly. Absolutely really perfectly. Well. 
really surprising to have it suddenly be like poignant that he's like, wow, the whole world, it, it opens up to this new thing that he, he doesn't see as possible. To me, that was emblematic, though, of the film as a whole. I'm like, no, that's what the film is saying. It could all open up again. We could re have a re-envisioning of, of 69 and what it means for us, and it would open up the possibilities. Because we really are in an era of just amazingly closed down possibilities. Except for these tiny little pockets, almost everybody's like, yep, end times. It's pretty well over. We're fucked. Apocalyptic, yeah. Yeah, we're all we're definitely. all done basically. But but what about the connection? That, that's definitely there, and, and I think most people can relate to that. But specifically about the moment, the culture moment in America, about mm-hmm. this like woke culture, post Me Too, all sort of like culture wars, different cliques, and all that. And um, in this light, yeah. <laughs> Rick Dalton is kind of like the dinosaur. Yeah. It, it sort of it seems very relevant today to watch it because it's sort of like a dinosaur of right. the so-called white, straight, kind of macho mm-hmm. <laughs> man. Mm-hmm. And uh, this little girl <laughs> is the kind of the newcomer. She's going to be, <laughs> she's, she's the queen and he's going down. And he's going down, it's right. not his cultural moment. So if you look at it that way, which is probably reading too much into it, Oh, I don't know. Thing. I think I that's I definitely there. I, I think she does represent the, <laughs> the future. The, <laughs> because it's, the and, yeah. and everything, all this banal t-shirts with future is female. <laughs> right, I don't know. Right, return right, right, things right. to that. I don't mind. But like, I mean, she's even clearly... all terribly, <laughs> terribly prim and unfun, <laughs> except that she's, it's funny to watch oh, yeah. her and everything. All that stuff is, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's bad. Really Isn't it kind of, this is. <laughs> This is today. Well, and keep in mind, too, (laughs) Tarantino was constantly fighting to try to extend film as film. You know, he's the one who doesn't want to go digital. He wants to save some vestige anyway of of being able to work on actual film. And he's like the last. I think even the Coen brothers (laughs) have finally given up. Okay. Okay, you finally came around, but then isn't it proof? I know I'm like, I, no, I'm getting annoying. I still can't go this there. Is I the still proof. can't. I mean, there's this a little the bit. Proof. He is Rick Dalton. He's I the can't. dinosaur. In a, in a great dinosaur, Rick Dalton is like, seems, <laughs> he shows him as actually a good character. Because uh-huh. when he finally puts his mind to it, he can act. I don't see him as just some kind of like talentless loser. He's a bit of a loser just in terms of um, kind of like losing the cultural moment of, of that time. But but no, so <laughs> so in a way, Tarantino with his like uh, allegiance to 70 million meter and this like um kind of i don't know kung fu movie like the straight movies the the vile the female the violence against women blah 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 for today he's a dinosaur i yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay i say yes all right yeah in that and sp- certainly in those all terms right. <laughs> if you want right. to put it in terms of who's fighting for yeah <laughs> for um a, a, a film industry that's so completely trained he's even it's even already over i mean there's almost there's virtually nothing to fight for he's holding out for can at least i keep can i keep going on as far as i can tell because everyone else has given up <laughs> and the film industry itself like the you know the whole the way whole way content is delivered that the way the way it's received yeah. binge watching you know stuff that you're getting through your tv is pretty much you know ultimately popular gaming all this other stuff i mean it's the film industry where it, where even is it you know can you even make the comparison yeah. and no movie i mean i do have to say despite Okay, fine. Let's say if you go with my thing, that Tarantino even admits that he's himself somewhat a dinosaur for the culture moment today. I mean, who else can create this like uh, sort of sensation that mm. the movie ticket is going to be sold out? It's going to be like a can sensation at the same time. It's both. You have to try um, to find the special like, theater where you see it in the yeah, optimal way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all this thing, but basically, kind of like doing it the old way yeah. and making people not 
kind of wanting to just like wait out and right. just watch it on I don't know what Amazon Prime, right, what, right, right. but actually kind of like yeah, he he's definitely doing it the old way, and it's I mean for him he, it still works. Like people do go, yeah, to no, he can still people compel are people for the time being to to get all I do excited. Have to say, yeah, and also, did you read about that? I found it kind of interesting. I think he did the personal note to the can um, audience not to share the, um, you know, the uh, the, ending the ending of the oh. film, which oh, was clearly, yeah, there was like the personal note. I think everyone in Cannes were uh, either oh, really? he showed up in public or or he did some kind of letter to everyone wow. in Cannes. Like, by I have to I have to find it, but it was kind of impressive, and I think. Uh, they sort of went with it. Did, so in a way, he does also the kind of old school. Yeah, that's really movie. old Hitchcock psycho stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah like, don't tell the ending. Which, which, is pre- which is pretty cool that like, you can still pull it off and people also will be excited to see that because they would know there's some twist, but they wouldn't know what it is because, yeah, because people actually kind of wouldn't tell them. So that, yeah, that's, that's, that is extremely very old school. And the fact that he's still invested in the plot, oh, so passe, right? <laughs> no, just think about it. We were just recently talking about how no one even trying yeah, yeah. <laughs> to tell a story because what is a story? Everything is just, uh, just like, I don't know, everything is everything else and it's all makes no sense so there's no story right but yeah. he does this, he does the story i agree he like invested in some in some very specific vision of a story yeah and he does when you think about it that he does pull it off it's he's pulling it off because he can be this event that's so singular he can you know, every few years but you do keep it's frustrating that you you would have thought i i thought that that when they tried to say all right we'll do a lot of imax we'll do a lot of event films and that's how we'll be able to save films that we would have gotten more than marvel movies out of it it's like only tarantino will be like fine i will make an event film that that compels you to go <laughs> to the theater but that that mandate doesn't seem to extend very far beyond beyond superhero movies and, and Tarantino. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm going to do something of a huge scope and scale that has to be at a special theater that has to be, you don't tell the ending. That's the definition of an event film that they used to do something called road showing. They'd sell out reserve seats, blah, blah, blah. They do everything they could to make it a big event. But it doesn't seem to be that common practice among it's like he's the one. Who, he's the one who does it. He's clearly a dinosaur, but he's also one of the last kind of this big persona filmmakers that yeah. almost do not exist even among the working filmmakers who are, I guess, by all means, are considered successful, but they almost just kind of like blank or not particularly big, charismatic, controversial figures, right? And yeah, he that everyone that. Comp- has to weigh in every time their their film comes mm-hmm. out. There aren't there aren't very many people uh, that you can even think of. <laughs> who are even or like, they're really Scorsese. aging? Yeah, there's the Coens, <laughs> Scorsese. Who else? Who I else? guess Wes Anderson has a big following. Burton no longer matters to people at all. No, he, everyone just gave up on him a long time ago. And Wes Anderson himself doesn't have this kind of dinosaur never character. Never had. The so big. he already the new formation. He's like a different but, you know, animal. Christopher Nolan and da- and David Fincher are still big event guys they i think they might be the last of the but even they're not they don't have they're they don't have the persona to go with it like tarantino was such an outsized personality he for you know partly by acting in his films and all these other ways he just he imprinted on people's minds as a as a person we recognized and knew 
That's true. We feel that way about the Collins. We feel that way about maybe used to feel that way a lot about Spike Lee. He's kind of got gone into the background a lot more than he used to. But when he started, (laughs) he was he was a definitive figure in 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 this kind of new auteur that you recognized and was always giving inflammatory interviews. Definitely. But I do have to say when you brought up Christopher Nolan, David Fincher, just even thinking about them, and obviously they don't have the outsized personality of Tarantino, Mm -hmm. but they're all kind of like in their own way. They're this macho like yeah, they're kind of macho guys. They're a bit of a Rick Dalton-y sort of. I'm just it's it's just a great character for me now to even think. (laughs) Yeah, they do big (laughs) action, you know. Mm -hmm. They kind of work in old fashioned genres in a way. Old old definitely pretty pretty conservative in a way. Yeah, conservative. Also have conservative politics instead of this like old school male film to their to their movies, which is. To- totally fine but it's very specific and like Tarantino is kind of I think really comedy in that but yeah. anyway yeah so there are very few dinosaurs left like that uh-huh. and he's kind of <laughs> he's one of the most sort of big or interesting or mm-hmm. weird looking one ones out of, out of <laughs> yeah, them all. all all three all all of those things yeah yeah he's just the yeah he's great oh god I wish well didn't happen for me I, I couldn't get into like the press conference or the premiere oh, but yeah. um yeah, too bad. But um, well, he's not too old, so he's now going the biblical kind of way. He's going to probably sit at home raising his like five upcoming children. Oh God! So. Or he's doing the, the the Sinatra thing where you retire eight t- times and keep making comebacks, so everyone comes to see <laughs> what they're doing. The, that's that's true. He but this one always would have been would have been an okay ending. I think he, I think that's what might've started him talking a lot about. Maybe I'll end with this one. Cause he, even he, I think recognized it would have been a fitting one. So either yeah. way, I would be sorry to see him go just cause it's so little interesting going on. And anyone who compels people, even people who hate him, this is what I can't get over. I've had arguments with people who hate him and think he's a talentless hack, but they go see every one of his films. I was literally like, why do you see his film? You think he's yeah. worthless. Well, and I was, this was what the answer was in one memorable case for anthropological reasons just in order to study you know your fellow human <laughs> human reaction and i'm like all right well that that's when you're big you are big when people who hate you feel like they have to go just so they can be in on the conversation yeah this is a great place to be so despite whatever i say yeah i mean he's one of those he's one of those whatever whatever that means (laughs) all right so i think we well that was an interesting that was an interesting talk yeah and and i think what we've got planned for next time just to give you a heads up pretty sure Mm -hmm. once again it's not dad films we'll get to dad films i think we're we're, it looks like we've got it locked down we're going to do an interview with um two uh documentary filmmakers and producers um their most famous film is room 237 that they produced um todd uh hughes and p david ebersole they have a new film coming out called house of cardin it's pierre Mm -hmm. cardin who is the great fashionista had a really fascinating life anyway they are um finishing up their film They've already had a con premiere with a rough cut. Um, they have total access to the Carta ar- archives. And they've just done a lot of goofy and amazing and wonderful, crazy documentaries. So we have an interview with them about their upcoming film. And um, I think that's what we're doing next time. All right. All right. So we'll be back in, in two weeks. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.